Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. And welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm your host, Angela Forfia, and I'm the Associate Director of Diabetes Education and Prevention Programs for the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. As we all know, stress is a normal part of life. There is simply no avoiding it. Some stress is good for us and gives us the necessary motivation to spring into action. But when confronted with stress that impacts us negatively, or that lasts for a long time, stress can pose a serious threat to well-being that needs to be addressed, especially for people with diabetes and for people at risk for diabetes. Today, Quisha Umemba joins the huddle. Quisha is a nurse, certified diabetes care and education specialist, and the president of Diversity in Diabetes, a nonprofit in Texas dedicated to creating solutions to end health disparities in the diabetes space. She's joining us to discuss the serious impact of stress on people with cardiometabolic conditions. You'll hear how chronic stress can complicate self-management and care, and how a person's behaviors in response to stress can either hinder or help their health. In this episode, we're sharing practical tips and resources to help you identify signs of toxic stress in your patients and improve their healthy coping skills. Quisha, thank you for taking the time to join us. Hi, Angela. It's so good to be with you today. Would you introduce yourself and share a bit about your background and work in diabetes? Absolutely. Well, I am a registered nurse with a public health background. In fact, I like to often say that I am the nurse that got bit by the public health bug. (laughs) A couple of years ago, I co-founded a nonprofit, as you mentioned, Diversity in Diabetes, with my co-founder, Casey Creel. And we have enjoyed serving in this capacity. We provide virtual diabetes education, as well as a monthly support group. And we've been able to see throughout the year that we've been doing this, that many of our participants are experiencing toxic stress. So I'm so glad that we're talking about that today. On the other side, I'm also a business owner where I train community health workers and I help organizations implement CHW-led programs. I've also been able to identify and relate to a lot of my trainees and students' perspectives on the challenges that people have that are dealing with diabetes and also living with chronic stress. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us on The Huddle. I think it's safe to say that we all have some level of stress that we encounter daily, but it's not always going to be a problem. So maybe we should start the discussion with a definition of what stress is, how stress is different from toxic stress, and why stress can be 
especially toxic for people with diabetes or people at risk for diabetes. Sure, sure. So stress is a response that your body undergoes when homeostasis is threatened. Mm -hmm. And homeostasis is the state of balance among your body systems so that you can survive and function properly. Stress can be good. It can also be bad. And so good stress we call eustress and bad stress we call distress. When you experience stress, your body releases hormones to help get back to the balanced state that it wants to be in. And unfortunately, these hormones are often contributing factors to things like insulin resistance, higher glucose levels, et cetera. And like you said, it makes it more difficult to manage prediabetes and diabetes. Chronic or toxic stress, on the other hand, is stress that is experienced consistently for a prolonged period of time. And this type of stress can lead to feelings of fatigue, overwhelm, stress, and frustration, aka what we know as diabetes distress. Mm -hmm. And this in turn can lead to diabetes burnout, which happens when people grow tired of managing their condition and then tend to ignore it for a period of time. In people with diabetes, this leads to things like reduced glucose monitoring, you know, stopping taking your medication. And then this further leads to an increased risk of diabetes complications. Stress seems like such a unique experience to the individual. I'm curious to hear what you're hearing from the field about people's perceptions of stress and their own stress. Yeah. Well, I think what's ironic about stress is that often I speak with people that are experiencing extremely high levels of stress or either going through a number of extremely stressful situations perpetually. Mm -hmm. And often they don't even realize how dangerous this is for their mental and physical health. Often they dismiss it altogether or look at their present circumstances almost as a rite of passage. I know I did this personally uh, for myself for a number of years. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget when I was working in the clinic um, as a DCS, I had a patient that I was talking to about troubleshooting, problem solving. And I asked a question, and this is before I knew better. Um, didn't you see the red flags? Uh-huh. And the patient said, you don't always see red flags when you live in a real world. And that just absolutely floored me. I literally sat back in my seat and just had to sit in that comment. And it's so true. Um, a lot of times people are so used to going through such stressful situations that it just seems like this is life. It's a normal part of life for them. And it's even more so for people of color. They're dealing with the stressors of life on top of health disparities, provider bias, lower quality of care, perceived racism and discrimination. The list goes on and on. And all of this contributes to added stress for an individual that's living with diabetes, especially in a racial or ethnic minority community. We also saw that with the emergence of COVID, which was an additional added stressor for many, but again, especially for communities of color. Well, there are just so many layers that you've added to that conversation. I'm still kind of still kind of sitting with that comment about not seeing red flags in a red world. Um, I mean, that's going to stay with it stayed with you for so long. And now I hope it, it's going to stay with me. And I'm sure it's going to stay with everyone who's listening. Yes. Um, I, I know one of the reasons that diversity in diabetes was started was to address these 
systemic structural challenges faced by people of color living with diabetes. So can you tell us a little bit more about how the chronic toxic stress experienced by people of color, especially Black Americans, can impact their risk for diabetes, their diabetes self-management, and ultimately their health outcomes? Absolutely. So I'll quote you a few statistics here. There are several studies that examine the role of social and biological stress on health, which do suggest a link between socioeconomic status and ethnic disparities in stress and health. And we know that, you know, there's some ethnic and racial groups that are more economically disadvantaged and thus more susceptible Mm -hmm. to stress. When it comes to African-Americans, among other minority groups as well, Mm They have been impacted greatly by hypertension and diabetes due to chronic stress, resulting from some of those things that I mentioned earlier. Specifically, when I talk about perceived discrimination and racism, there are several studies that have shown there's a role um, that these play in unhealthy behaviors like cigarette smoking, alcohol substance abuse, improper nutrition and refusal to seek medical services. Now, speaking of health of Black women in general, Stress due to the experiences of racism can contribute to adverse birth outcomes when you combine that with the effects of general and maternal stress. Then there's daily stress, um, things like a lower social positioning, poor family functioning, even long-term poverty can also lead to adverse health outcomes. So when you put all of these things together, individuals at a higher risk of developing prediabetes diabetes, and other chronic conditions, it also makes it harder for them to manage those conditions as well. So this is really something across the entire lifespan. So from prenatal experiences through birth and, you know, through childhood, young adulthood, adulthood, and, you know, as we age. So you can really see how that stress, that toxic stress can have those effects over time. Absolutely. Um, I know this is just the start of a really important conversation that our members can think about and they can have within their own communities, but it really highlights the importance of health equity and making sure that populations and communities that need more support, that need a way to address these structural challenges are getting those supports within their communities as well. So I'm going to shift focus a little bit from stress to thinking about healthy coping and resilience. You know, resilience is certainly a word that we've heard a lot as we have been going through this experience of COVID-19 in our country. So can you talk a little bit about healthy coping, resilience? What can we do in the face of this toxic stress? Absolutely. This is probably my favorite part. You know, stress is the problem. Healthy coping is the solution. So I think when we talk about healthy coping, the first thing is awareness and acknowledgement that one might be experiencing toxic stress and then helping to develop those coping skills to manage the effects of chronic stress. I know that people who experience chronic stress may not even realize that they need to seek out support. For me personally, You know, there was a time in my life when chaos was the norm. Mm -hmm. And because I got better at managing the chaos, I thought I was doing a good job at managing my stress levels. But that's not always the case. You may be able to juggle 20 things at a time and look great on the outside. But how are you sleeping? What is your blood pressure 
Um, what are your blood sugar readings? What about your mood and how you're interacting with others? So those are things that I don't think that people understand. And then when we talk about people with prediabetes, this is even more important for them because they may not even see their diagnosis as severe. Uh-huh. So they may also be putting off seeking support that they may need because it's not a priority. Um, I know at the onset of the pandemic, I was actually providing um, the virtual diabetes prevention program. And I had clients that said, my prediabetes is not a priority because the world is coming to an end. Mm -hmm. And so um, helping patients and helping clients to really acknowledge and be aware that there might be a problem in the first place. I think that not only I can relate to, you know, some of what you've been sharing, but I'm sure many of our listeners can as well. You know, I sometimes the analogy that I have is like, you know, have you seen those like spinning plates acts in like circuses, you know, where someone is keeping all these plates balanced <laughs> and it gets in that suddenly you're riding a unicycle and you're like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And what you're not seeing is you know, your blood pressure start to creep uh-huh. up, your resting heart rate start to uh-huh. creep up, your A1C starts to creep up. And you're just, you know, you might even feel very energized, but your body is really taking the hit from, you know, that routine you're doing every day. Absolutely. I think that many of our listeners, you know, probably have some idea of what constitutes healthy coping versus unhealthy coping, but I'm sure there's a little nuance there. So Can you define healthy coping for us? Yes, yes, absolutely. So healthy coping means having a positive attitude toward your diabetes or prediabetes management and also positive relationships with others. And so there are a couple of types of healthy coping um, you should be aware of. There's problem-based coping and emotion-based coping. When we talk about problem-based coping, we're talking about coping that involves handling stress by facing it head on Uh and taking action to resolve the underlying cause. Emotion-based coping is coping that involves regulating one's feelings and emotional responses to the problem instead of addressing the problem. And the most resilient of individuals apply both problem-based and emotional-based coping. I love that distinction because I often use that in my, um, you know, diabetes prevention programs of, you know, so let's say that one of the stressors in your life is traffic. You know, a problem-based coping might be, I can find a different route to work. (laughs) You know, maybe I'll take public transportation (laughs) so I don't have to deal with traffic. And emotion-based coping might be like, well, I can't take a different route. There's only one route that gets me from point A to point B. But instead, I'm going to manage the frustration that I feel or the anxiety that I feel when I'm stuck in traffic. And, you know, you might need a combination of both to get through the traffic of our of our daily lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so maybe, you know, I'm I'm one of those people. I absolutely lived in Houston for a while, lived in Austin now in Dallas. So traffic is no stranger to me. Yeah. And I'm the one that, I, you know, there was only so many routes when it's congested. Everything is just kind of backed up. But I realized I could put on a podcast. I could put on a TEDx explainer video of some type. And as long as I focused on something else and didn't focus on, you know, the stop and go, stop and go for an hour, it would get me, you know, to my destination. And so that's a perfect example of both problem-based and emotional coping. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to use that in my groups from now on. Um, So (laughs) 
you touched on this a little bit, but what does resilience have to do with healthy coping? Resilience is the process and outcome of successfully adapting to difficult or challenging life experiences, especially through mental, emotional, and behavioral flexibility. And it's also the ability to adjust to external and internal demands. It is the ability to withstand and to bounce back from adversity. Everyone is different, and that ability to withstand and bounce back from stressors varies on the individual. The issue lies in with resilience is that some people are born with higher levels of resilience than others. And individuals that don't have high levels of resilience, those are the individuals that need to have the most assistance so that they can develop those healthy coping skills. Oh, this is great information. I'm really taking this to heart personally as well. (laughs) So um, this seems like the perfect spot for a 30-second break and an important message from ADCES. Are you an advanced practitioner looking for a way to demonstrate your diabetes expertise? If so, consider the board-certified and advanced diabetes management certification. The application deadlines are May 1st and November 1st each year. Learn more at diabeteseducator.org forward slash BCADM. Want access to the latest research shaping the future of diabetes care and education? Then check out ADCES's core research journal, The Science of Diabetes Self-Management and Care. Access the latest issue online at diabeteseducator.org forward slash TSO. We're back. Um, Can you provide some examples of healthy coping and unhealthy coping? What does that look like? So unhealthy coping are going to be things like drinking alcohol and drugs in excess or taking drugs in excess, smoking cigarettes, um, too much of a good thing or too much of one thing. For instance, eating too much of it, Mm -hmm. sleeping too much of it, exercise, although it is a good coping mechanism. Too much of it can be detrimental. Um, And then being hyper-focused on your diabetes management, believe it or not, is actually an unhealthy coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. When we talk about healthy coping, we're talking about things like journaling or meditating, engaging in some intentional movement throughout your day, spending time doing things you love, hobbies, your favorite hobbies, setting healthy boundaries with your friends or family, or like we talked about earlier, playing podcast in that one hour commute on your way to work or on your way home. Those are examples of healthy coping. We certainly love podcasts and support podcasts at the huddles. So <laughs> um, so they're, they're an important part of my uh, healthy coping. But it's very easy to see how these things can kind of drop out when you're experiencing stress mm-hmm. and you really have to set the intention of, I very much had to set an intention of, you know, bringing reading back into my life. Like it was very easy to just. That's so true. Oh, you know, I have some running around. I have so many things to do and just reading for enjoyment, reading for pleasure. You know, it can be part of that healthy coping. One of the things that I did, Angela, I started putting a book in my purse. And so no matter where I'm at, you know, if I'm waiting on my mani-pedi, if I'm at the doctor's appointment, if I, you know, took my son to practice, I know there's always a book in my purse that I can open up and start reading. And so that I'm, I'm right there with you. I had to find ways to incorporate something that was so pleasurable to me once. Um, so, yeah, that's a way that I cope um, when I'm being impatient. 
um, and, you know, at an appointment or something, at least I have something else to focus on, which is one of my coping strategies. Yeah, it's funny. I was wearing this tracker for a while that um, tracked when I would hold my breath. And, you know, encourage me to, to, to breathe. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, you know, it's like I need a tracker for this. Um, but I thought that I would experience a lot of stress when I was at work, um, you know, where it's like I, you know, there's a lot of busyness, like things are going on. But actually, the time when I was holding my breath, when I needed to be reminded to breathe was when I was looking at my phone. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's like that sort of doom scrolling sort of you know, like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on. It's like really created a lot of stress and it was completely counterintuitive. But um, so, you know, keeping the phone in the purse and taking out a book, that's going to be, <laughs> that's, that's going on my action plan this week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. So let's talk a little bit about the role of the diabetes care and education specialist. As we know, you know, in behavior change, we can't, make someone do what they don't want to do. That has to come from within them. So how do you see the role of the diabetes care and education specialist or lifestyle coach or healthcare professional in addressing healthy coping when they work with people with diabetes or pre-diabetes? Yeah, that's a great question. I think first and foremost, we have to understand how healthy coping behaviors differ and determine the best coping strategy to assist the patient that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's no one-size-fits-all approach, very much to diabetes care and management. Um, DCESs and other healthcare professionals can help their patients build resilience, which in turn leads to healthy coping skills. And so there's a few areas that one should concentrate on. One, the patient's self-esteem. It's really hard if you have a patient that lacks self-esteem to help them build resilience and healthy coping, um, self-efficacy, self-mastery. How optimistic is your patient that they can make positive changes, that they actually can find those healthy coping mechanisms? Um, and then also using a strength-based approach. Um, we've got to remind patients that, you know, you did X, Y, Z in the past before. Mm -hmm. You can apply those same methods, that same tenacity, that same fortitude to this situation also help remind them of that. Um, so those are just a few things that we can use uh, as healthcare professionals to get started. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, sometimes people define those as weaknesses of like, oh, I'm really stubborn. I'm like, you're stubborn. Great. <laughs> you know, like, I love it. You're going to need that. So sometimes it's kind of flipping the script a little bit of. Absolutely. It's it's definitely flipping the script. I love that. The next time my husband tells me that I'm stubborn, I'm yeah. going to tell him that's actually a positive trait. <laughs> Angela told me it is. Let positive. me tell you why. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for anyone who's listening right now to this podcast, uh, maybe they're in traffic. Um, maybe they're in their lunch break. What are some action steps they can start taking immediately once they find themselves in front of a person who's experiencing stress? I will leave you with four simple steps um, because I think a lot of the times we make things harder than they have to be. Um, step one, I think it's, it's important for healthcare professionals to let patients know that it's okay mm -hmm. to not be okay and to show themselves grace. And although this saying is deeply rooted in yoga or in faith-based communities, showing oneself grace 
is simply kindness and forgiveness to ourselves. It's important for you to help your patients understand what they can do to show themselves grace and give themselves permission to forgive any mistakes or any lapses in judgment when it comes to managing their diabetes. Um, Secondly, focus on and celebrate strengths. Your patients, like we've just talked about, are more resourceful than even they think. Help them remember this by using that strength-based or asset-based approach. Um, Allow them to see themselves at their best in order to see their value. Remember, I talked about self-esteem. It allows a person to be able to move that value forward from maybe a past situation to something that's more present and capitalize on those strengths rather than focusing on their negative characteristics. Mm -hmm. Ask patients about their ability to cope with stressors using something like a brief resilient coping scale. There are other tools that are available out there that you can use in the clinic setting as well. Third, help your patients to build connections and identify support systems. Connecting with another individual or with a group is a reminder that we are not alone in the face of challenges. So you wanna help your patients find ways to connect with others. And this could be helping them identify a friend or a relative who they can call if they need help or locating an in-person or an online support group like the kind that we have at Diversity and Diabetes. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, Often our patients don't realize when they're struggling. So help your clients understand the warning signs of diabetes distress and diabetes burnout. And if needed, provide them with local resources to train healthcare professionals like social workers, therapists, or psychologists that work specifically with people with diabetes. Great. I think that those are fantastic. And I love the message about showing ourselves grace. The messages that we give ourselves are our inner voice when we're talking to ourselves, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, even ask. So negative. Yeah, even asking like, yeah. what would I say to a good friend who is going through this mm-hmm. challenge? And you'd be a lot nicer to that good friend <laughs> than Absolutely. you are to yourself. Um, and I love the idea of building that support network too, because so often, you know, it's like, I got to get through this alone. I've got to tough it out. It's all on me when we really, we need each other. We need that support. Absolutely. And, and you probably know this, but some people would be surprised to hear sometimes patients don't even know how to ask people for help. Yeah. I remember, you know, in the clinic, actually role playing with patients before. You're going to ask your sister to do what? You're going to ask your neighbor to do what? Okay, now let's roll because it's so foreign to them. Yeah. They've always shouldered the brunt Mm -hmm. of everything that they've had to um, take on in life. All of the stressors, even asking a family member, their mother, father, sister, neighbor is difficult at times. And so when I talk about helping them build resilience and healthy coping skills, it could be something as, okay, let's role play this together. Exactly how you're going to ask your neighbor Mm -hmm. to do X, Y, Z. Yeah, absolutely. For our listeners, are there any long-term action steps that they can take to build their own skills in this area? Yeah, for clinicians, I would say definitely look for professional development opportunities in health equity-related topics to help transform your practice. Anything that's going to make you or help you become more self-aware, more empathetic, et cetera. 
I would also say if you're in a clinical setting, I mentioned community health workers earlier, and I'll mention it again here, utilize CHWs. Mm -hmm. They also call community health representatives, health ambassadors, lay health educators, what have you. But these individuals help build rapport with your patients. I've had patients before that have said things to me that they wouldn't say to the doctor mm-hmm. um, because I have that that that, that like no trust factor is already established because we identify. Um, I identify with them as a member of the same community. Mm-hmm. So utilize these individuals. They are skilled at capacity building. The patients are often more comfortable speaking with them, and they certainly if utilized appropriately, have the time to work with that patient to help build healthy coping skills. Those are just two tips that I think are important. That's wonderful. And, you know, even in some settings where it's like, well, you know, we don't have anyone with the title community health worker, but you have that medical assistant that is so connected to everyone who walks in the door, or you have that patient navigator who's there, who, you know, is making your calls and helping people connect. That is the seed that you can grow a really amazing community health worker program from. Absolutely. So if people are interested in learning more about this topic or reaching out to you, Quisha, where can they go? Well, we've created a couple of resources that could be found on the ADCES website. One is a downloadable patient flyer that we've developed to help your patients understand how serious stress can be. Mm -hmm. The other resource is a healthy coping resource for healthcare providers so that they can keep practical steps and resources for assessing coping and resilience nearby. The last thing that clinicians and CDSs can do is ask patients, how can your care team be a source of support for you when you are stressed? That question is so important. And if people would like to connect with me or follow Diversity and Diabetes, our website is diversityanddiabetes.org. You can also find us at Diversity and Diabetes on all social media channels. Great. Thank you so much, Quisha, for joining us on The Huddle. It's been great having you and chatting with you. And you've given some things that I can use in my own life as well. Well, thank you, Angela. I've, I've certainly enjoyed talking to you about this topic as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Huddle. Make sure to download the resources discussed on today's episode. You can find them linked in the show notes at diabeteseducator.org podcast. And remember, being an ADCES member gets you access to many resources, education, and networking opportunities. Learn about the many benefits of ADCES membership at diabeteseducator.org join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.